Radical, episode 227. Welcome to Radical, ladies and gents. I'm your host, Shane Hazel. Been a while since we've been live, but I uh, appreciate all of you guys being here. Uh, I think we've got an awesome show for you guys lined up tonight. It is live everywhere. Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitter Spaces, um, even on Twitch, I believe. So get out there, share the show. Appreciate everybody. Uh, tonight, we're going to be talking about uh, Bitcoin, and we're going to be talking a lot more about this, uh, especially as the cataclysm of the fiat US dollar continues and bonds go nuts and the markets go nuts and housing uh, starts to crash. I, I Not doom and gloom, never, never fear. Uh, but tonight I've got a great guest for you guys. It is Ben Perrin from the wonderful show and YouTube channel. I mean, highly successful uh, BTC Sessions. Brother Ben, welcome to Radical Sir. How are you, man? Dude, I'm great. That has got to be one of the most epic intros I've ever seen. <laughs> I'm, I'm pumped right now. For this. Hey, man. Yeah. Uh, it, it's uh, one of my good buddies, Dan Smotes. Uh, he is, uh, or Smots. He's a, he's a great intro guy. I'll, I, I tell everybody, I'll hook you guys up. I love having this guy employed in the space and, and, and having some, some real energy because a lot of times we can be. Uh, you know, economics can seem like, well, you know, one of those things where it's kind of sticky and dry and boring and all that kind of stuff. But now, I mean, you got some color going on. I've obviously got my own thing going on here. It's not boring or dry or anything else. But uh, to give uh, the folks a little bit of a background on who you are, you've uh, you've been in this space for quite some time now. I mean, you, you're uh, crushing along, I guess, 2014. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. That's when I first started uh, kind of dabbling. Um, I noticed it the year prior a few times and felt like it missed the boat every time I, I saw it. But um, I guess such is the case for everybody uh, the first few times they see Bitcoin. Um, but yeah, 2014, I started dabbling, trying to learn as much as possible. Uh, it, was, it was a learning curve for sure, uh, as, as anybody who's just begun their Bitcoin journey can attest to. Um, but yeah, after a couple years of tearing my hair out, trying to figure out how I was going to learn this thing, um, I, uh, I felt comfortable enough to begin teaching other people what I had learned, hopefully in a manner that was easier to digest than what I had been consuming. So um, thus came to be my YouTube channel, BTC Sessions. Yeah, I mean, you cover everything bitcoin i mean i'm talking from wallets to to nodes to i mean just the the basic operation uh taking self-custody getting off of exchanges uh but you also do great panels where you guys talk about current events news politics you, you, i mean just just an amazing array of guests that you've had not to mention uh you know just you know playlist after playlist after playlist and i think one of the the most encouraging things that i've seen is the the hands-onness that you you take to this so i mean tell tell everybody like when, when you first started with this and you started teaching like what were your initial thoughts because i think that scares the hell out of most people um yeah i mean <laughs> so i i had a background in performance before i got into bitcoin so um I, you know i i had some kind of uh, inclination towards technology just as a hobby um i uh performed i actually taught little kids how to break dance for like a decade <laughs> prior prior and then i sang in an acapella group and i i had some cursory knowledge of of how to edit video and stuff like that so 
I, I kind of pieced all those things together, like the education part, the interest in, in, in technology and uh, the performance bit and kind of molded myself a niche in, in it. So I wasn't super uh, worried about it because I kind of learned to not care what people think, <laughs> but, um, but it was, they're definitely out the gate. Nobody really cared, right? There mm -hmm. were, you know, you, you'd get a few views here and there um you know the odd question uh but you know like the first few months maybe 100 subscribers something like that yeah. <laughs> and so um it took a while to build up um you know i i was lucky the timing uh in and around when uh the channel started because it was about a year prior to the 2017 bull run mm -hmm. um and so I had about a year's worth of material by the time things got rolling and everybody started looking to uh, to learn. And so like this is part of the journey. Everybody, when I first started in Bitcoin, if you wanted to learn how to do something, it was typically you'd ask around on Reddit. Maybe you'd, you'd hope that maybe the website of whatever you're using had a good explanation. If not, then you'd be asking around online and somebody would say, oh, go to this message board and scroll down and there's a comment where somebody explained how to do it like that was that was kind of the learning curve as i was coming in and i'm a very visual learner so that was a, a hell of a task trying to figure out a lot of stuff um and so that was kind of the impetus to to start creating step-by-step -step video tutorials because i think everybody I, i'm a firm believer that everybody's capable it's that the the confidence isn't there and and once you kind of see it and and you have a little bit of hand holding along the way um that makes everybody a lot more confident in being able to to try things and learn and even if you don't get to you know to be a, a top tier bitcoin or whatever that may mean um in terms of technological knowledge um you'll be much better off learning and trying than standing still yeah no i i think you're you, you speak to my passion you know it's one of those things where you know that you, you take a step and you 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 try to i don't know broaden your knowledge base and that was the one thing that i kind of understood you know coming out of um some of the background that i had is you know i felt most comfortable in places where i knew a lot you know and that the the amount of study that goes into these uh you know these journeys and i i imagine um, you could probably speak to that for a second too, is, you know, you, you start down a path, especially with Bitcoin and you start to see just how many, you know, things it touches. It literally touches everything. I was talking to, uh, one of my good buddies about this the other night is you can have conversations with anybody and everybody on this, the more, you know, and I would, I, I guess my question is, is how many, how many hours do you think, you know, it took you to, you know, really kind of chew through the beginning of it to, before it became more or less like I got to absorb even more like I want more right yeah so out the gate um I remember seeing it a few times through 2013 and and thinking either there's something there or it's just a, a scam or whatever and so when I finally decided to pull the trigger and start bothering to even learn about it I think I found it was like a, a uh, somebody had made a free Udemy course mm -hmm. called how to stop worrying and love 
love crypto. That's before people kind of zeroed in on why Bitcoin made sense. Um, but it did do a good job of kind of walking through the um, how and why, you know, how does this thing work? Why is it important? And then also what are kind of the situations where things could go awry? What could go wrong with this? What to look for? Like if this fails, then perhaps um, the entire project could be a write-off. So it gave me a good cursory knowledge of, I guess, how Bitcoin worked and what red flags to look for um, if things were to actually go wrong, you know, like some sort of zero-day bug where the protocol actually just goes off the rails. Um, and, and so I, I had enough of a knowledge to, well, I, I should preface this by saying the first time that I actually uh, bought some Bitcoin uh, was the, the week that Mount Gox collapsed, which was like the largest, <laughs> the largest uh, uh, exchange failure ever. Um, now I wasn't on that exchange, but um, you know, I, I bought a little bit of Bitcoin that week to start learning and start testing out wallets. And, um, and, and then that news hit. And by then I had gone through kind of my initial learning phase of like a, a month or two, a couple of months. And I had enough knowledge to understand that the headlines were totally incorrect, right? Like the, the headlines were Bitcoin has been hacked. Everything is, is like it's, it's, it was a scam. It didn't work. It, uh, it broke. Um, but I understood that Bitcoin itself did not break in any way, shape or form, but rather it was a poorly, uh, poorly managed business. It was a custodian that lost people's money. Yeah. Um, and so I, I had enough knowledge to kind of navigate that. But, it, you know, those early days were um, there was there was a lot to take in. So that, that was kind of my initial dive into it was all right, let's try this out. Let's learn a little bit. It probably took me a few months to feel comfortable getting Bitcoin. Sure. And then in terms of feeling like I, I understood enough, it, it took a couple of years before I felt really, really comfortable. And even at that point, when I, when I will say, when I started the channel to start teaching people how to use things years later, I look back at what my knowledge base would have been then. And I totally didn't understand Bitcoin. Yeah. Like, I, I understood enough to teach people how to use wallets and stuff. And, and uh, there were just so many things, even on a technical level that I truly didn't get. And it, it took so much more digging down that rabbit hole to get. So I, I think, you know, backstory, you've got tons of credit already here. And, and I, I'd like to get into a lot of like, what's going on, like the nitty gritty of like, today was a big day, right? Like today, the, the Jerome Powell the Fed came out, and, you know, no shock to this community that's been saying, hey, guys, this is going to continue to, you know, we're going to continue to see interest rates rise, and we're going to see more printing, and it's going to be quantitative easing into oblivion, right? Um, no shock, obviously. What are, what are your thoughts? I mean, this, it's getting wild. Like it's getting, it's getting nuts. Yeah. It's, it's, it's strange because we all kind of know that it's inevitable that it goes right back to that. We go right back to the money spigot, right? Yeah. Um, this is just like a temporary reprise until, until shit breaks. Um, it's, it's, it's funny because 
again, Bitcoin is being treated and traded like a tech stock and it couldn't be further from that. So it's a pretty unique opportunity for those that recognize what it actually is to, to accumulate, to broaden their knowledge base and to just generally sit back and kind of have a better understanding of what's going on than your average person. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the average person on the street doesn't, doesn't really understand the underlying causes of inflation, let alone how our actual money works or why sound money is better or, you know, just the, the faintest idea of even how, how Bitcoin functions. So it's wild to see. I'm not particularly surprised at this point. I'm kind of numb to the fluctuations of Bitcoin like that. That doesn't phase me, you know? Yeah. Oh, I mean, when you saw when, when the FOMC uh, meeting hit and it was just like, oh, it went from, you know, 19 to 198 to like way down into like the mid 18s. It was just like spiking everywhere. And I, I was kind of, I was busy working on tutorials, but you know, I'd look, glance at Twitter and I'd see people posting charts, like what the hell is going on? Um, and it, it's, I find it amusing because the high time preference of trying to trade these stupid little like one minute candles when this is what I firmly believe will be generational wealth mm -hmm. and a, a base layer of money that is grounded in truth that can actually help humanity correct the wrongs of the past and, and, and have a, again, a society that its base layer is, is nothing but truth. Yeah. The, the, that conviction, you know, it, it goes through the roof with knowledge. You know, the, the, there's, there's this great correlation in terms of the, the amount that you pour into this study and understanding exactly, you know, how fiat just rips apart society from the very, you know, word go that, that instant communication where we have trust, right? It's like, if we, if we've established trust between each other, then that's great. But with strangers, you know, it's a, it's a very different thing. And so that protocol, that communications protocol, that technology that, you know, fiat gets wrong at the base layer is one of those things that I think most people don't understand. Um, how, how do you help people that, you know, you know, are, are obviously most people, they don't understand this tech. They don't know how to, you know, relate to it. They think, Hey, you know, if I'm going to take my money and put it in anything right now, because let's face it, I think a lot of people are going, what am I going to do with my dollars that are absolutely getting zapped, you know, day in and day out by these guys at the fed? how do you help them maybe just be like, Hey, have a look, man. Or, or, or I mean, besides your plethora of videos and everything else, like just the guy on the street that you meet. I mean, if, if we're having a conversation about money in general, um, I like to get down to the root of, of what money is. It's, it's, it's effectively a communications tool for allocating value, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, a tally of, of, more or less what percentage of the entirety of goods and services in an economy somebody has. And so, you know, printing money creates no wealth because no more stuff is created out of that. You're just 
having a, the same pie divided into more pieces, but you get to reallocate the new pieces to whoever you see fit. If mm -hmm. you're the fed or if you're, you know, one of the, the first people to get lent that money. Um, so I, I tend to, to talk to people and, and say, well, if money is, is merely a representation of all of the possible goods and services in, in a, an economy based on kind of human ingenuity, then when somebody prints money and then allocates it where they see fit, um, then they're effectively stealing from you because before you had a certain percentage of all those goods and services with your fit set dollar amount in your bank account. Um, but now they've just changed that percentage. You now have a smaller piece of that pie. So a, a good way to think of it would be, what if your bank account, rather than having a number of dollars, showed that percent? What percent of the economy do you own? And even with all of the, the, the money printing and the checks that were mailed in the past number of years here, um, even with that money, your percentage has been going down. Yeah. It, it's been steadily going down. If people could see the a percentage as their as their uh, or basis points in their bank account, they would be rioting already. But they don't. They see a number of dollars, and every once in a while they'll get a handout. Um, oh, hey, we're gonna uh, we're gonna you know send you send you a couple checks, twelve hundred dollar checks here. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna bail out a few people who who uh, spent, you know, tens of thousands of dollars on a liberal arts degree or, you know, whatever, yeah. whatever it may be. <laughs> or in Canada, um, we're going to send anybody who asked for it $2,000 a month. Like we, that was, you know, it, it was insane. And people don't realize the net effect of that. Number one, that if you were to just print money and then hand it all out equally to everyone based on what you already own, um, there would be no net effect, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody would be in the exact same position. You just add a zero onto what you pay for everything, but you'd have that much more money. So the only reason that you print money is to reallocate some of that wealth to who you choose. And surprise, surprise, it's not you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I, I, I make the, the correlation, you know, for people that are, you know, maybe getting into the space and really don't understand economics. And it's a store of value, a store of energy. It's, a, it's one of those things where when you look at your life and what you've expended it to, if you could take that and throw it into a battery for another day, or, you know, are, are you charging that battery basically with mm -hmm. you know, the, the time that you're putting in uh, and then the, the services or products that you're providing to a market? And at the end of the day, you put in, let's say, a hundred percent you've got that thing fully charged but tomorrow it's sitting at about 80 percent because that's what inflation does whereas bitcoin is one of those things where if you put in a hundred percent you know down the line what we're took locking you know what we're looking at is you know a, an, a deflationary asset which is an increase in your energy because mm -hmm. as that bitcoin does disappear or disappears we're looking at you know possibly 120 130 140 something that's going to possibly outlast you most likely will outlast you that you can sit there and hand your battery that's not only fully charged but overcharged to the next generation and i think that's like one of those really really cool things well it's 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 amazing in that you know i i was i was previously talking about like 
our current broken system. But yeah, like on 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 a Bitcoin standard, on a world that runs on a Bitcoin standard, all of a sudden you have a situation previously that would have been every every economic decision you enter into is a contract based on kind of your brain's knowledge of what the purchasing power of those dollars are at that time. Right. So you enter into a contract with an employer and you say, an hour of my time is worth this much money. But as time goes on, that contract is inherently broken. Now, it's not the fault of the employer necessarily, but they're also not going to complain that they're getting that deal, right? Because mm -hmm. they can they can up the prices of their goods. And then only when you're basically in a position where you have to then come and make the case to your employer why you deserve a pay raise just to keep treading water. Yeah. In a, in a Bitcoin system, the roles here are reversed. And I think this is kind of the important thing. You set a employment contract, let's say like years down the road, it's it's a hundred years in the future. Bitcoin is is the globally used currency and it's the store of value unit of account um, medium of exchange for everybody. You set a, a, a employment contract with your employer. And right now, you know, at the time, Bitcoin just enjo enjoys like a mild deflation every single year, just due to population increase, um, uh, advances in technology, lost Bitcoin, so on and so forth. So, mm -hmm. you, you know, you enjoy a few percent deflation every single year. You can buy more stuff. You're now in a position as an employee where you get to basically be able to purchase and have a higher standard of living every single year on that set um, on that set employment contract of, of whatever your time is valued at. It's then your employer's job to come to you and reason why that needs to be reduced based on based on whatever factors they see fit. Or if you've been, you know, doing really well for the company, keeping it static, perhaps increasing it, but you're in the position of power because it forces the employer to come to you and argue for wage decreases and potentially lose employees in the in the process and have to retrain new people. So it completely flips the books on what we're used to. Um, as a, as a, somebody running a company, yeah, that's going to be a lot more challenging. Of course it is. Um, but it will, in my opinion, this is kind of why it's so difficult for regular working people in a system where the money continues to be devalued. You're, you're always going to be in that position of having to beg just to break even. Um, and Bitcoin is not like that. Yeah, it, it, it's a it's a spectacular. You know, they, we talk about zero to one tech, um, and and possibly you know changing you know everything that we do. Um, when we talk about you know begging, I think this is a good segue. Is a lot of the people in the world uh, have been unbanked, and I don't think a lot of people in first world countries really understand what unbanked is. Where if if we've you know printed millions and millions and millions, if not trillions and trillions and trillions of U.S. dollars, the the federal fiat reserve currency of the world, we've manipulated it. We've gone to war. We've done you know really silly things in our foreign policy, like drug wars and everything else. When we look at what a lot of this has done to 
places around the world in Africa and in, in Central and South America, um, you look at people who have had their savings destroyed. You know, we look at inflation here uh, in, in, in first world countries going, oh man, these guys are terrible, but we didn't lose all of our savings. We didn't lose everything. We didn't lose everything that we had ever worked for. And a lot of these people have because of the the Fed's uh, currency manipulations and, and, and foreign policy and everything else I just named. How how do you see and how what are you excited about in terms of these people uh, being able for the first time to take this money and you know start to, to exercise it and how do you see their their futures kind of shaping up? It's it's interesting because those that have the least to lose are the ones that are most incentivized to jump on to new things like this, and so I mean that's why. That's very obviously why El Salvador was, you know, the first out the gate. That's why you see a lot of countries like that starting to eye this up. Um, I'm I'm excited because there's there's kind of a, a couple different ways of attacking this. One is yeah, the the erosion of of people's wealth over time, um, the or the the. Uh, confiscation of people's wealth over time and the reallocation of it. Um, those that kind of understand and have come from places that have had rampant inflation, um, they, they get it right away. So there, there's the wealth preservation, and then there's also the censorship resistance aspect of it as well. And that's very, very important. So I, the reason I'm tying these two together is, is I was in uh, nor I uh, was in Oslo, Norway for the Human Rights Foundation, and they did the, the Oslo Freedom Forum. And there were human rights activists from around the world. And uh, they were, a lot of them were coming at it from the perspective of a, a censorship resistance. Oh, we want to fundraise and be able to oppose our, our tyrannical government, so on and so forth. And so I got speaking with uh, a lady from, and I don't, I don't, I'm not going to name names, um, but I'll say it's as also from a, a Central American country. And, and she was saying, oh, you know, I want to be able to raise money and then I need to, we're basically spitballing ways that they could, you know, it's getting the Bitcoin into the country, easy as pie. But then it's finding local solutions to then be able to purchase the goods or services that are needed um, on the ground. And so that's different depending on which country you're dealing with. Um, but in our conversation, uh, it, it came down to, I, 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 in passing mentioned something and said, oh, and then there's the, you know, there's the cap supply. And, and the lady said, excuse me. <laughs> and I said, well, you what know, there's, you only, there's, yeah, she was like, uh, what do you mean? And, and I said, well, there's only going to be 21 million Bitcoin ever. You can divide them, but there's a maximum amount. And her eyes were like, oh my God, I like, she was coming at it from a totally different perspective. And I blew her mind because she did that needed no explaining. She just needed, she just needed to know that that was possible and it was enforced by the Bitcoin network and you, you effectively couldn't change it. And she was like, this is a whole other ball game. This is a whole new thing that I'm excited about for Bitcoin. Cause she doesn't, you know, we, we don't need to explain uh the prevention of currency debasement to right. people who have been through it um you do need to explain that 
to people that have been living in first world countries their entire lives. Um, you know, people in Canada, people in the US, people in, in Western Europe, they, they mostly haven't been through that. You know, you saw some inflation in the 70s. But, it, you know, it, it, and it, yeah, that was bad inflation for, for the US um, for Western countries. But comparatively, um, you know, it's, it's nothing. So it, it takes a lot to try and explain why that's inevitable here. Mm -hmm. um, the difficult part is it's also happening everywhere all at once, right? Yeah. And so before, it, you know, it would be Weimar Germany and, and you have this litmus test of reality or quasi reality outside of Weimar Germany being like, oh, look at all these other currencies that are relatively stable and this one's going insane. But right now it's it's everywhere. And so it's a lot harder to gauge what's truly happening because people aren't necessarily thinking in in the correct terms of of purchasing power they're thinking in us dollars versus canadian dollars versus whatever they know things are more expensive but it's it's a bit harder to measure now yeah it, it, it's it's crazy to look at what this is going to cost uh this generation and and the, i think probably the couple generations after this and when when we look at um, you know what's going on around the world is you know when there is a breakdown in transmission of this you know communication this ability to transact what you see a lot of times is die off you see people that unfortunately you know and this is this is the downside i think that a lot of people don't see is you see this massive die off in very poor countries around the world from starvation, the ability, the inability to trade with each other, to get the, you know the, the necessities of life, the you know when we when we look at like things like commodities, where you know when things start to really go south, one of the big things to tick up is farmland and everything else, and mm -hmm. when when that is uh, you know gone, um, and and they cannot replenish that, that's when we start to see you know real problems, and I and I'm excited because I think maybe for the first time we're going to start to see, especially with you know, things like Starlink coming online is these, you know, these nations around the world that have literally been unbanked and had their currencies destroyed. Um, I'm excited to see what they're going to do first out of necessity to show possibly the rest of the world how this can be done. And I mean, I don't know, part of me, I, I look at, you know, places like Central and South America and, and, you know, parts of Africa and I just go, oh my gosh, like, the the potential and what we're going to see out of these places uh, is going to blow people's minds for you know for the rest of our lives. They are going to teach and show us things that we never even considered. There's going to be such a massive reallocation of wealth. Um, in my mind, partly because you're now seeing. Initially, it was just the internet, you know, anybody could, uh, you know, interact with each other online and, and, and you, you do have kind of a, a gig economy around the world where you can hire somebody from another country that can do some digital work for you for cheaper and everything, but you're still mostly you're using credit cards and everything like that. Um, and in some countries, it's just not possible to, to be using your credit card just because of, you know, fraud risks and everything. Um, that's going to massively change in the coming years when 
when you have countries and you have individuals in those countries able to work from anywhere in the world um, and be paid instantly, you know, even per minute, if you really like, um, you, you can, the flow of that. And again, like I said, the, the people that have the least to lose are the ones that are going to jump on this first and they're going to benefit massively from that shift. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm actually, I'm quite excited to see that, but I think a, a lot of people in, in Western nations that have not honed their skills to be able to do actual skilled labor as opposed to just whatever, you know, your, your average minimum wage job. Um, if it's digital in any way, shape or form, it's gone. Um, it's going to change a lot. And, uh, a lot of those, you've probably seen them recently, but some of those where people are like, Oh my God, how work is like grown up daycare. Now, you know, people talk, Oh, I work for this and this is my day. And it's like, we went and got muffins and then we went and I sat and I worked for a little bit. And then I went to the, to the, like we built blocks or dumb shit like that. You're like those jobs, those like seventy, eighty thousand dollar a year jobs are toast, and it's going to be some dude in India or some dude in Africa is going to get your job that you do. You do. They're going to get it done in about an hour, at at a quarter of the cost or a you know a tenth of the cost, and they're going to be so excited to get paid for it. Yeah, that's that's an incredible piece that I think a lot of people like if if you don't have real skills and I'm not talking like skills that a uh, a central power a state will pay you for, right? Something that you have to compete in the real um, market space, whether you're providing a good or a service that is not subsidized because let's face it, subsidi- subsidization is it's going to go away. I mean, it really is going to dry up extremely quickly. Um, you know, it, it, it's kind of like going broke, right? Where they say uh, eventually and then all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, we're, we're at that kind of, yeah, maybe we've kind of starting to tick up. Um, with all that being said, though, um, when when we are looking at first world nations, right? I mean, just last year, Canada, um, you know, obviously uh, where you live, uh, you guys did experience some of this firsthand in terms of uh, s- states and reserve currencies and banks um, taking control, complete control of their money which kind of blew the illusion that it was yours in the first place yeah yeah i was i was um luckily i didn't get my bank account shut down um throughout the kind of the protests i i probably came close i'm not sure um that said uh, the the beautiful thing about my instance is, had they shut down my bank account, they wouldn't have gotten any money. Because <laughs> I don't I don't keep my money in the bank. Um, I don't trust it, and that really cemented it for me. That that moment where I saw them start to just willy nilly shut down bank accounts and say, "Oh, you supported something that was legal up until we said it wasn't yeah. um, with no precedent." Well, yeah, no more bank for you. You can't transact like that. That was pretty eye-opening. Um, and I think it was eye-opening for a lot of people. Now, unfortunately, 
um, a large portion of the country cheered that on, cheered on that decision and said, yeah, good. Shut down their bank accounts. Cause they're just, do you think they, they really, were, I mean, there, there was that large, or do you think it was amplified by the, the propaganda in the state? I think it was that large yeah. because of the amplification that it got, right? Golly. If it, when people sit and all they watch is CBC, which is, you know, yeah. it's, it's basically our CNN, except for it's actually funded by the state. The CBC is, is the Canadian broadcasting uh, company. And from the government, they receive a billion dollars every year mm -hmm. just, just to operate. So like they're, yeah, they, they don't want to be overly critical. A lot of people, um, tend to see them as, as not exactly impartial. Uh, <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, I, I think, yeah, when, when you sit down and this is what you see every single day, then, then you're going to believe it because unless you're down alternative rabbit holes and unless you're actually present at those events or, you know, somebody at those events, then you're just gonna, you're going to watch your news and you're going to say, huh. All right, I guess I guess it's all a bunch of uh, racists and terrorists and bigots and Nazis and all them, and uh, yeah, you shut shut down their bank accounts. Well, I like mean, that's... outside of Toronto and Vancouver, I mean, that's that's all it is out there is just white people yeah, being white people, it, right? Just it's, Nazis. It's literally Mad Max where I live. <laughs> we're just, we hunt people down in the street. I barely made it for this interview. It's crazy. <laughs> oh man, um, did did you see a giant uptick in in uh, in in your channel in in your presence in terms of the Bitcoin community in Canada during that time? People trying to get away from you know being censored, getting their getting their money into a safer place. Did you did people come to you? So I saw I saw interest from the right types of people. Okay, um, the people that are directly incentivized to be interested in it. Um, and so I tried to, I was, I was having a hard time with it as it was, because yeah. I was, I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know, um, how bad it's going to get. And so I was starting to get pretty, uh, a, a fair amount of anxiety around the whole thing. So I wasn't making myself especially available, but I was trying to put resources there so that anybody that wanted to could find them and learn and utilize them. Um, everybody, there's, there's a lot of people that expected that event to be, now everybody's using Bitcoin, but I, I, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think it was a lot of people's first touch point with Bitcoin and the necessity for it. Yeah. And that's a very important first touch point. Some of them probably heard of it before, but all of a sudden to be facing, oh, my bank account shut down. And now I'm seeing that only this, you know, out of all of the uh, donations that were given, um, you know, the first one, the entire fundraiser was effectively just shut down and confiscated and was going to be donated to other causes, but then got given back to the donors. Second one, they didn't shut down the donation page. And then when they tried to withdraw it to a bank account, uh, TD Bank in Canada shut down that and confiscated that money. And the only thing that actually made it, the majority of the money actually made it directly to those in it was intended for was Bitcoin. Yeah. And so that woke a lot of people up to that. Now, 
those people, the people that learned about that, they're not in a position to be putting a ton of money into Bitcoin because one, they had lost their jobs, which is why they were protesting in the first place. And two, even if they had money, it was probably in the bank and that shut down now. Yeah. And, <laughs> so, and, and, and for everybody that may have amnesia on what happened is, you know, they, they a lot of the people that were losing their jobs, whether they were truckers or in the, the, the shipping industry or whatever it was, is because they refused to go with Trudeau and get mm-hmm. boosted or get their vaccines or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And I mean, what a what a spectacular you know, I hate that people have to go through it. I know there are growing pains and everything else, but to see when that happened, you know, the Hong Kong coddle movement and everything yeah. else that happened, you know, where you had guys in Toronto, like sub-zero temperatures, right? Because going out oh, and, yeah. and helping these guys get wallets set up, teaching them about this in the cab of their truck so that they could get gas, get food, stay the course, and really kind of put up the best fight possible uh, and, 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 you know, I, I guess a, a worsening situation in a draconian state. And I, I mean, just a lot of us here in the States are super jealous of all the, the uprisings, right, or is around the rest of the world. It was, it was a pretty incredible moment. I didn't, I didn't think Canada had it in us, like that, that we had it in us. Um, but to see, like, we're a pretty compliant bunch up here. Um, <laughs> Just good people, man. I don't man. know if you knew that. No, yeah, I've uh, been to Canada a yeah. lot, and it's, it, it is yeah. a bunch of but, really just good people. Yeah, but to, to see to see Canada, the typically the, the least confrontational group of people, uh, rise up. There was the largest protest in Canadian history. Wow. Um, and, and to do it in the dead of winter. Um, the, 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 the temperatures were in the negative, like, so what is, what is it? Um, freezing for us. Yeah. Down here is yeah. Zero for you guys. So about negative 20 each way, I think in, in terms of like you, once you get into the negatives for both, you're sitting right around negative 15 Fahrenheit, negative 20 Celsius or whatever it is. Just brutal. So it was like negative 25, negative 30 Celsius in and around Ottawa at the time and throughout most of the country as, as people were standing on overpasses, waving flags and everything, and they were still out. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I, while I was a little disillusioned that, um, even people that people there, there were a fair number of people that, um, just thought, well, just comply, just comply. Um, and, and had very little sympathy or respect for just body autonomy for people Mm -hmm. being able to make their own decisions of what went into their body. A lot of the people that were protesting were also vaccinated because those people just happened to agree with the idea that somebody should be able to choose what they do with their own body. And that's, that's, and I love seeing that. I love seeing two people having different ideas, but saying, Hey, we both agree that we should have the right to choose what we do. Um, So it was beautiful to see that, but it was a little disheartening to see uh, a lot of people, just say no. You should just listen, no matter what, and not question anything. And and um, but in this case, I I think in the end, I'm I'm happier with Canada now than I was prior. Um, it, it was it was a, a little rough start to the year, 
But uh, things seem to be looking up. We might have a Bitcoin or prime minister in the future here. So there's there's a few things going on. Yeah, I, I was gonna say, um, you guys, uh, you guys got some real movement. Uh, was it the the leader of the conservative movement up there that was making uh, a great speech, just newly elected, I imagine, um, yep. talking about I think a little bit of what we were talking about earlier is uh, the the technology of communication of money and yep. how absolutely broken as hell it is right now. I think that is a a really, I mean, for for Canada uh, to to really not only um, acknowledge it, but to get this thing right and have somebody in a, a pretty prominent position, uh, you know, take a take a stand and start talking about this to applause and w- yeah. what a what a cool moment. It's 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 an interesting development. I. <laughs> You know, I don't want to get my hopes up too much. I'm very happy that yeah. uh, his name is Pierre Polyev. He was he was elected just like a week and a half, two two weeks ago, yeah. um, to head of the Conservative Party. He won with like seventy percent, <laughs> so it was like an a, an actual landslide. Um, and right now, I would if I had to gauge it right now at this moment in time, if there was an election, it would probably be a coin toss between him and Trudeau getting back in. Um, we'll see how that changes as time goes on, but. I mean, I'll take it. It's 50-50 to have a Bitcoin <laughs> prime minister. That's not bad. Well, and and, and at least have it, it's, it's some good opposition if he's not. And so, yeah. uh, really beautiful thing. Are you uh, you up for some uh, some questions from the audience now on Let's Twitter Spaces? We've got a, quite a few people out there. Uh, Kareem, brother, I think, uh, I think we've run into each other in the past. If you want to come off of mute there and, uh, and, and ask a question or... Uh, contribute on Twitter Spaces. Uh, please feel free to do so. I know there's maybe a little bit of a lag here, so we'll we'll give them a moment. But um, uh, Ben, in in terms of uh, you, you there, Kareem, ready to go? Yeah, I'm ready to go whenever you are. I just didn't want to cut you off. Thanks, man. Go ahead. Can you hear me? Okay. I got you. Cool. So um, I like the conversation. I was definitely joining to you know hear some stuff about. Bitcoin also we're talking about Canada. So I was looking at Pierre Polyver, I believe that's how you say it. Um, well, like Shane, I'm a voluntarist, so I'm always looking to kind of see where people are at in terms of like the political sphere. I know he's the leader of the Conservative Party. My question is though, a lot of the times I don't know Pierre Polyver, so I'll say that, but a lot of the times I'm seeing Republicans are kind of Democrat light, like they maybe aren't as bad sometimes with things or they do it in different ways. And I'm kind of curious, do you think Pierre Polyver is kind of like that or is he more oriented towards a more libertarian uh, freedom type of attitude? So what I'll say, I'll comment on, on kind of his way he's positioned himself thus far. And I'll caveat by saying he's a politician. So um, you, you never really know. I, again, I've been super disillusioned with politics for quite some time now. Um, and I tend to view, I tend to view an, an, uh, an individual being elected that is favorable to Bitcoin or and favorable to freedom as a time buying mechanism. Um, so that we can better establish a Bitcoin standard, better establish technologies that make taking away freedoms much more difficult. So um, what I will say about his positioning thus far, he was uh, very favorable uh, with the, the trucker protest. He, um, he basically 
leaned into it and said people should be able to choose what they do with their own bodies. Um, he uh, was opposed to because um, there was the Ottawa protests and then there were um, blockages of some borders. Um, one of them was like a privately owned bridge uh, between the U.S. And, and Canada, and it did like a lot of commerce. And he said, well, you know, I don't believe in, in blocking the borders. And, you know, it was a privately owned bridge anyways. So uh, I can kind of see, you know, private property. I get it. Um, and so uh, in terms of, you know, his his takes on monetary policy and everything, he I, I think he's trying to be careful in and around what he says about Bitcoin now. Obviously, he's probably going to stay away from the topic because everybody has such a a high time preference that they're just going to, you know, pull up the one year chart and say, see, told you he was wrong. And, you know, that they're already doing that. So I think he's trying to step off that. But he's he he basically thinks that um, the, the central bank is broken, that that people should have a reliable, sound money um, and that the policies like he, he, he wants to fire the, <laughs> the governor of the Bank of Canada. Um, so most of his other policies that I've seen have come down to more or less allowing people to live their lives with as little intervention as possible. Now, he's still a conservative. Um, so there's a degree of regulation that he wants in there. The conservatives tend to be the, the party of law and order as well. Um, so there's going to be, it's not going to be like a full libertarian party if, uh, Pierre gets elected. Uh, but at the same time, I think it will sway things in the right direction. And I think that that buying of time can greatly Im improve kind of the Bitcoin situation, be able to uh, allow people to live their lives, uh, uninterrupted by outside influence, um, at least less and uh, establish better kind of community bonds and be able to, I, 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 I lean towards more local governance anyways. So um, I do too. Yeah. I do. Yeah. I, um, well, since you brought that up, if it's okay, Shane, I'll just throw one more thing out there real quick. Um, well, I was, I was reading a little bit about the trucker convoy and I looked and saw Daryl was in charge of it, but I also saw another uh, lady named Tamara Lynch. Now I don't know her background. I don't, actually think or know if she's a Rothbardian or anything like that but I don't the hard part is I'll be careful here in America there's a lot of talk like big names are talking about uh peace or divorce particularly congressmen one uh popular show that that Shane was on Tim Pool they talk about it is there any talk I know I think I saw Tamara Lich was talking about a secession party and I was like okay that's the direction ideally I, I would like to go in is seceding and less and less. Is that climate there in Canada to start breaking off? I believe it's provinces and municipalities. Um, or is that not um, something that's being thought yeah, of? Yeah, there, there's definitely sentiment um, in and around that in pockets. Um, in Alberta, the province that I'm in, which is effectively the Texas of Canada, um, they... <laughs> we have a, a leadership race coming up in October and one of the front runners, uh, a woman by the name of Danielle Smith, who actually is also a Bitcoiner. Um, she is running on a platform of putting forth, uh, the Alberta sovereignty act, which would effectively give the province, um, leeway to say no 
to federal laws that uh, impact us poorly, um, which to me sounds like the first inklings of secession. Um, the way it works, I should clarify, the way it works in Canada is the federal government has far more power here um, and the individual provinces have very, very little. They just have a few, you know, like um, healthcare and certain, certain things like that. But um, for the most part, uh, the federal government kind of calls the shots and, and they've really screwed Alberta in the energy sector for years and years. And furthermore, Alberta and a lot of Western Canada feel like they barely even get a vote because when we're watching the election, um, the numbers can come in and it can get to the point where it's gotten through, um, you know, the first half of the country, have, the numbers have been in and the election is already decided. Yeah. Um, and that, that happens quite a bit. And so we're sitting here going, oh, you haven't even counted our votes yet and they didn't even matter. Um, so this is, this is kind of the feeling. And, and, and so there is a feeling of there's a lot of movement um, and a lot of people kind of advocating for Alberta sovereignty. I don't know that it has enough um, enough to even get through like the Alberta Sovereignty Act, let alone actual secession. But there's there's sentiment. I could see it happening in Canada eventually, and it's it's also been a a, a major mainstay of Quebec as well. Quebec has tried to separate or had referendums to vote on separating from Canada multiple times in the past. So. I, in the end, I think it's not a matter of if, but when it just could be a while. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good to hear. So yeah. Mm. Thanks for all your feedback. I'm not gonna, you know, keep on the mic because I want to hear other people's questions, but if you're looking for guidance for the Alberta sovereignty act, one thing I really like in the United States is a state called New Hampshire. They run a mm -hmm. thing called pork fest, but they also have a free state project that seems to be doing really good as they're the number one state. In the in America, I would say in the world for freedom. So yeah, th thanks for your feedback, Kareem. Thanks, good man. to hear you, man. Uh, and and seriously, I, I remember running into you up there in PA. I, I believe that's where uh, we ran into each other. So I appreciate the questions. Uh, we are going to be really respectful of Ben's time. We're coming up here on an hour. Um, I want to I want to thank you first and foremost for your time, for coming and doing this, for everything that you're doing in the space because. No I mean, you know, as a guy that has been in, you know, this liberty space, this voluntary space, now Bitcoin and everything else, it's 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 this convergence. And I really think it's so cool to watch, you know, where we've got, you know, maybe the most I don't know, powerful platforms um, in terms of, you know, Bitcoin, in terms of this idea of liberty, in terms of being able to use tech and, and do multicast and now, you know, have respectful human conversations out of Twitter. Like it's kind of a, it's kind of an interesting thing to be able to <laughs> like, yeah, to take this amalgamation of, you know, really neat things that we've, I, I don't know, have been introduced to and start to have a positive effect. And, and the fact that you're doing it out there, you're spreading this idea that the love and, and educating people, a lot of times um, it is a labor of love because it is that passion, man. And, and you know, I, I see it in you and I appreciate you. Um, I appreciate you coming in here and spending your very valuable time with us. So um, before uh, we get out of here, tell uh, anybody and everybody, you know, how, how do we help you out? How do we, you know, find you and all that other good stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
you know, you don't need to help me out. You can, uh, but you can, if you want to educate yourself on Bitcoin, um, I've got a ton of material. So if you're somebody that is even from, uh, the standpoint of I'm just getting into Bitcoin, I don't understand how to use it at all, or I have wallets, I've sent transactions, but I want to understand how to use hardware or multi-sig or the lightning network or how to run a Bitcoin node or soon how to mine i'm working on that one i've got a rig coming um so so just tons of material you can find it on youtube just search btc sessions um you can head to my website btcsessions.ca uh, if anybody's looking for like one-on-one -on -one, uh bookings for actually walking you through how to use something um i i do those from time to time and then uh you can interact with me and follow me on twitter at btc sessions Right on. Are you coming down to uh, the States for the West Coast Swan Bitcoin event? I am. I'm going to be down there. I'm going to be uh, helping with a bunch of stuff. I'm going to be dealing with a lot of the, the, the Swan Dome stuff that's going on down there. And I'm also doing a, it looks like I might be doing uh, Why Are We Bullish down there too. We'll awesome. see. That's, awesome. that's shaping up. <laughs> well, I, I, I hope to see you down there and uh, thank you again for doing this. Uh, everybody go out there and support Ben uh, at BTC Sessions. It's super easy to find. Uh, subscribe to his channel and all that good stuff. And uh, Ben, I hope to see you out there uh, in November, brother. Uh, for everybody else, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, we will be back next week. I think uh, next week I got VJ on from Bullish on Bitcoin. So uh, it's going to be an awesome uh, awesome ramp up and uh, I think uh, this Bitcoin space is just going to be you know that life raft for a lot of people uh, out there that are that are really struggling so uh, thank you to everybody until next time I love you I need you peace um, don't hurt people and don't take their steps